The last chapter of John's Gospel begins with the word, afterward, afterward. And it's logical to ask the question, after what? It makes you want to look back in John's Gospel. After Jesus' entire life and ministry that John has recounted, after all the teachings and all the miracles, after Jesus' betrayal and his sham trial, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, after everything that John has recorded up in his gospel up to this point, he then tells the story in John 21. Perhaps you know the story. John and Peter and the other disciples had gone back to Galilee, back home. They'd followed the instructions. You recall that at the tomb, the angel told the women to instruct the disciples to go back to Galilee, and there they would see Jesus. And so they followed the instructions, and they've gone back to Galilee. And here in John's Gospel in chapter 21, we find them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as nighttime comes, they think about fishing, because fishermen usually fished at night. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others say, we'll go with you. And so they all get into the boat and go out and fish. They fished all night, it says, and caught absolutely nothing. Maybe you've been on a fishing trip like that. I have. While they're out fishing, Jesus comes to the lake, gathers up some driftwood, builds a fire, puts some fish on it, and stands on the shore. It says they don't recognize Jesus at first. Maybe there was a fog on the lake that morning, made it hard to see. I don't know. But as they're out there in the lake still, Jesus yells out to them and asks, Have you caught any fish? No, nothing. And Jesus says, Well, take the net and throw it on the other side of the boat. And they do, and you know the story. They caught a large number of fish. And on catching these fish, John recognizes that it's Jesus standing on the shore that has told them to cast their net on the other side. And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter immediately jumps out of the boat, impulsive Peter, and starts swimming, wading, whatever, to, sh to shore to, to be with Jesus. When they finally get the boat on shore, they count the fish like real fishermen. You can tell a fisherman wrote this story. 153 fish. Not 150, 153 fish. And as they come ashore, they see that Jesus has already built the fire and already has fish there cooking and has some bread for them. And they share breakfast together. But it's an awkward meal because it says that Nobody dared ask Jesus if it was really him. Is it really, is it really you? 
you ever had a meal like that where nobody talks? It's very awkward, isn't it? This was one of those awkward meals. But Jesus feeds them, and they have breakfast together. And then things begin to focus in on Simon Peter. In fact, as you read the text, the other disciples sort of disappear from the story, and we're left with Jesus and Peter. And that brings us to our text for today, John 21, verses 15 through 19. Let me read that for us. It says, when they had finished eating, that is breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time that he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The question that Jesus asked Simon Peter is not about his love for the kingdom of God or God's people, but it begins and ends with his love for Jesus, the Son of God. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He doesn't say to Peter, do you now understand the wisdom of my warnings when I told you to watch and pray? Nor does he say, Simon, son of John, will you now resign your self-confidence and do as I tell you? It's not, do you now believe in my teachings? Or are you a believer in my claims? It's not even, do you still trust me? The one whom just a few days ago you betrayed? It's not, Simon, are you still standing by your confession that you made at Caesarea Philippi? Do you remember that? When you said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God? Is that still your confession, Peter? The Lord doesn't even ask Simon Peter about his faith, which might well have been questioned. Well, you'll recall that he had sworn with an oath, I do not know the man. No, Jesus doesn't ask any of these questions. He only asks one, do you love me? Do you have a personal attachment to me, to my very self? 
notice that he calls Peter by his old, unconverted name, Simon, son of John. I'm not sure why he did that. Perhaps it was to remind him of what grace had done for him. And then he asked only about his love. The question deals with a personal attachment to a personal Christ. And that's really the main point of this sermon. After they have breakfast together, notice how Jesus questioned Peter. He questions Peter about his love in plain, simple language. There's no beating about the bush. Jesus cuts to the chase, for there's no room for ambiguity or doubt. Simon, Peter, do you love me? Yes or no? There was only one question. Do you love me? Of all the questions Jesus could have asked, he only asked one. Do you love me? The Lord left every other point out of consideration, or perhaps I should rather say, he concentrated every other question in this one question. Do you love me? There's another sermon that I have been writing for more than 50 years now. It's not finished, but I'd like to share some of it with you this morning. My hunch is that some of you have been writing the same sermon. This, this sermon, too, is based on a question. The question that Jesus' question here to Peter presupposes. And the question is, why do I love Jesus? If I can answer in the affirmative, as Peter does, then why? Why do I love him? Perhaps the first and most obvious answer is that I love him because he loved me first. 1 John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. And Romans 5.8 adds that while we were still sinners, doing our own thing, Christ died for us. I love him because he loved me first, and he loved me enough to die for me. When I think about Jesus, I love him because he oozes unconditional love, and I can't say that about anybody else. Jesus doesn't love me only when I'm good, or because I could possibly do something for him. He loves me just because I exist. I love Jesus because he lives for others rather than himself. His whole life was about serving others and ultimately sacrificing himself for others. The cross says it all. The cross says it all. When I think about Jesus, I I love him because he loves children. And kids love to be with him. When they came and sat on his lap, he blessed them. 
And when the disciples tried to shush them away, he rebuked them. Do you know that heaven is going to be full of little children? How do I know that? Because Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to be with someone who loves children. I love Jesus because he touches the unclean. Jesus never worried about outward ceremonial purity. He touched the highest contagious lepers to heal them. He confronted and cast out demons. He raised corpses. He allowed prostitutes to touch him. Why, he even picked out a white-collar, big-business, publican male to have dinner with. I love Jesus because he forgives sinners. Like a woman caught in adultery like a tax collector that he turned into a gospel writer, like a well-intentioned but weak-willed leader of the apostles. I love him because he forgives sinners like me and you. I love Jesus because he cares about people one at a time. In a large crowd, he feels the touch of a woman who had hemorrhaged for 12 years, and he stops the group to minister to her. He goes to the well at noontime to converse with the Samaritan woman who was shunned by her own people. And in the midst of excruciating pain, he cares about the penitent thief dying next to him. I love Jesus because he tells great stories. I like to hear his stories because they tell me what God is like and what life is really all about. And they aren't preachy. They give me hope. I love Jesus because he cries when his friend dies, even though he knows he's going to raise him again. He gives me permission to cry when my friends die. When I think about Jesus, I love him because he cares about the rights of everyone else but himself. He fought for the rights of the oppressed, the disenfranchised, and the marginalized people around him. I love Jesus because he gives us room to say no. Like the rich young ruler who came to him in some anguish, saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him, it says, and loved him and said, your life is absolutely cluttered. You have too much stuff. Give it away to the poor people. 
and then come follow me. But the man was sad, and he said, I can't. I just have to have it. Jesus gave him room to say no. Because Jesus understood, like a wise man once said, that if you don't have room to say no, yes doesn't mean a thing. With Jesus, there's no coercion. Now, there have been times and places when and where people have been coerced emotionally, socially, even militantly coerced into following Jesus. I think about the poor Jewish couple living in Germany among a bunch of Protestant Christian neighbors. As hard as they tried, they couldn't find work. We're qualified, they said. We're clerks. We could work for the court. We could work for a business. We have our credentials. But they couldn't find work. And why? Because they were not in the church. And so this couple, in order to avoid starving to death, submitted to baptism in a local church. But they had a son named Carl, Carl Marx, who was so incensed that the church would do that that he became the huge enemy of all that we love, and all because somebody misunderstood what it means to make disciples. Jesus gave people room. In our text this morning, Jesus asked Simon Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? Undoubtedly, it was Jesus' way of reinstating Peter. Well, you recall that Peter had denied him three times before the cock crowed. A threefold denial demanded a threefold confession. And so he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter answers in the affirmative, yes, Lord, I love you. But Jesus gave him room to say no. Jesus gave people room. You remember in John chapter 6, Jesus preached a very demanding sermon and the scripture says that everyone left except the 12. And Jesus then turns to them and says, well, are you all going to leave too? To which they respond, where will we go? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. But he gave them room to go. This morning, Jesus' question, do you love me, comes to my own soul and to yours. And I'd ask you to imagine Jesus standing before each one of us 
and asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? God, grant us the grace to say yes and follow him. Let us pray. Father, as always, your word goes right to the heart of the matter. 